This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of the critically acclaimed book, Fall of the Boston Celtics, which you can still download for free by logging on to www.clnsradio.com book. Welcome on in to another edition of Celtics Beat being brought to you today by our sponsors, the home of online video tutorials, lynda.com and Audible. Audible is the leading source of audiobooks online with over 180,000 downloadable titles to choose from. And because of your listenership, Audible is offering your first audiobook on them by simply logging on to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Welcome into a special, can we believe it, can we say it, Welcome into our first show, Following the Century Mark, and a special playoff edition, the NBA Playoffs. And of course, more specifically, the Boston Celtics taking on the Cleveland Cavaliers. I still haven't even introduced the show yet, as I'm, I'm a bit of a loss for words here. That's what happens when the team that is covered rallies from 16-30 and 30 record, uh, 10 zillion trades, key injuries, a rebuilding year. Then plays basketball at a 50-win pace from that point on to miraculously glab a Playoff spot. This is Celtics Beat, presented by Audible and Lindabut.com. I am Larry H. Russell. We'll be joined by David Aldridge of Turner Sports and Dave McMenon of ESPN to talk about, I mean, come on, seriously, you know, we're, we're talking about the Boston Celtics, the young yet mature and improving Boston Celtics. They have a 40-42 and 42 regular season record. One less win than they had in the final season with Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Doc Rivers two years ago. 40 wins in a so-called rebuilding season. The Celtics led by their brainchild head coach Brad Stevens against the team that was the preseason perennial favorite to win the NBA championship. And for good reason, Love, Irving, and of course the game's greatest player, or one of the greatest players in the history of the league, LeBron James, and the rest of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Game 1 today, 3 o'clock on ABC. A lot of people, and for good reason, I'm not giving the Celtics much of a chance in this one, although I think it's safe to say that's more of a testament on how talented the Cleveland roster is. The fact that, let's be real, with as good of a season Atlanta has, the Cavs are the favorite and are the only team in this conference that can win the NBA championship. And it's more of a credit to how good the Cavs are and what we expect of them rather than some sort of indictment on the Celtics. Because let's not sell these Boston Celtics short. As I stated in the opening, since things have gotten settled in here a little bit, particularly with the roster, and more accurately since that Isaiah Thomas trade, the Celtics have been like the fourth best team in the NBA, I believe, and are playing at a better than a 50-win pace, has now gotten past the point where it's smoke and mirrors, folks. And I, 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 I am one where I've been waiting for the other shoe to drop for a long time, but here they are in the postseason. This is not an accident. This is not a fluke. This is actually a good team, and for the future, that is obviously very exciting because we all know in terms of talking about the roster, it can only get better from here, you'd like to think, particularly with how young the team is and how flexible the situation is. But we're not at the future yet. This is the present and good. The 2015 Boston Celtics are a good team. But good, unfortunately, is not going to gut it because they are going against a great or epic, iconic, legendary. I mean, the other team has LeBron James, a player who may very well be, when it's all said and done, one of the two or three best players in the history of the game. And because of that, 
uh, because of what kind of challenge it will be to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers and, yes, maybe even just compete with them. There are a lot of people in the local media and certainly Celtics fans who are worried about matchups and, you know, my goodness, what are the Celtics going to do against the Cavs? Well, it, I guess we're going to have to see to find out. I mean, first off, if one is worried, stop. I mean, how many times... Do I not have to say it, but members of this organization, like, oh, I don't know, Wick Grosbeck, the lead owner of the team who was on last week's show, Rich Gotham and Danny Ainge and other media appearances they have, and even just letters to their own season ticket holders, how they talk about the grand scheme of things and improving and maximizing their time well spent on a day-by-day basis and getting that experience. Maybe it's just me or maybe just, just to me at least. There's no better way in obtaining such experience than to go up against the best of the best in a postseason series with every game being on national TV, being on ABC and TNT, these next four games at the very least, and being the marquee game on the calendar for that day, just like today is. The whole world will be watching, the whole basketball world at least. And like I said, against the greatness of that opposing team, no? Hey, it's how the Germanic barbarian tribes did it, right? Wasn't that how they finally took down Rome? All those wars of them making not just battle-hardened, but being exposed to the greatness of Rome and fighting head-on with them over the years, or over the centuries for that matter. But that's how they learned the necessary skills and technological advances they needed to make to get to that point where they were strong enough to bring down the mightiest empire human civilization has seen in our 200,000-year history of being on Earth. But I think that's sort of how one should look at this. If anything, it's a perfect test for this team, for this organization, and more importantly, for the coach and the individuals on this roster, an experience that many, in fact, almost all of us, and definitely including myself, didn't think the Celtics would be fortunate enough to have here. So you see players, and I was watching on the CLNS Radio YouTube channel the other day, particularly after that big win against there against Toronto, Jay Crowder. He had the game winner that night, and he spoke with the media. They're not giving... The, the BS. They are generally excited about having this opportunity. I'd like to sort of play a clip. Let's sort of roll it here on Celtics Beat from the Celtics locker room the other day. I'm ready to go to war with these guys. I mean, I don't, I'm ready to go to war. Let the rest of us take care of itself. Uh, well, I think everybody in this locker room needs a man to be ready to go to war. Do you think he'll be guarding LeBron at all? For sure. I mean, have you watched the other two games? Yeah. Again, that was from our CLNS Radio YouTube channel, www.youtube.com slash CLNS Radio along with all of the rest of the raw and uncut videos from the locker room. That was Jay Crowder. But anyways, all the players, they seem excited. They seem confident, which is good. And do they know it's going to be a challenge, a huge challenge, basically climbing Mount Everest, or while we talked about earlier, sacking the city of Rome type of challenge for that matter, of course. But it's good to see this mantra and this mindset almost be contagious throughout that locker room. And that's really going to benefit this organization going forward and even more so in this series with Cleveland. And obviously, right, this was just what the organization wanted. You heard Wick Rosebeck on last week's show. At least I hope you did. And I hope you listened to what he said and didn't get caught up in what a few journalists who hit the Control-V or Command-V button if they were using a Mac on their keyboard and simply just copy and pasted a quote you know, in efforts really just to conjure up a phony controversy and generate clicks. But I hope you listen to what he said and how he wants this group of Celtics to face that challenge against the Cavs and against the great LeBron James. In fact, why don't we roll that clip, however, the full clip, so that way you can actually get the context and what he said. 
and um, and and LeBron chose to you know go back and and for the right reasons you know for great reasons in my opinion I really respect that decision although I'd love to play him in the playoffs somehow and I'd love to beat him obviously obviously last week if you simply read the quotes it'd be easy to be caught up in that bogus firestorm that took place for all of 24 hours after that interview but. Now, hey, I hope you listen to them here, and remember you can listen to the whole show now on demand over on our iTunes and Stitcher channels. Simply subscribe to Celtics Beat, and you'll be able to listen to all of our shows wherever and whenever, and you'll also get your new shows downloaded to your computer or your smartphone as soon as they're released. But you know what Wick said here was not sort of any overconfidence. It was, in fact, the complete opposite. It was based out of respect for LeBron and the opportunity he wanted, and now he's getting with his Celtics, to which they now do. And speaking of that opportunity, we actually have that chance to discuss it with our guest. Our first one, that's David Aldridge, who you most certainly know, one of the great journalists the sport has had, now covers the league for Turner Sports, NBA TV. You can also check out his written work on NBA.com. DA, we got some interesting playoff matchups. I think there's a lot of matchups here where you don't know which way it's going to go, which is very rare for the NBA first round. But it seems like almost all these matchups that we got here, anyone can win. I tell you... I'll run the Boston Marathon naked next year in a pair of iron boots if Golden State doesn't advance. And however as exciting as the Celtics season here is in Boston, particularly these last two months, they now face as big of a challenge as they possibly could imagine. Someone puts a gun to your head here and says, okay, name one team to come out of the first round. Are you going to identify this Cleveland series as that is probably Cleveland the team that's almost most assuredly going to advance? Well, it's hard not to see see that. Um, I, I, I would certainly... Think they are a strong favorite, um, as as well as Boston has played the, down the stretch, and they have played very well. Um, I don't see <laughs> I don't see how they can beat Cleveland. Cleveland's just too good at too many positions, and uh, they've got the ultimate guy uh, in LeBron James. And there's not too many teams that have anybody that can stay with him. Um, so I wouldn't blame. Uh, it's no, it's no criticism of Boston to say that maybe they, they don't either. So that's going to be, it's going to be tough for them to, uh, to win in that series. I know it's almost. Hey, I mean, there's a lot of people that are like us that are giving the Celtics no shot. I guess the only thing we could acknowledge is if Sully and Mick could be inspired by the Celtic Pride movie and maybe kidnap LeBron in the wee hours of the night and lock him up in some <laughs> studio apartment in Charlestown for the series. But uh, it obviously seems like that. That the only thing that that Cleveland they doesn't they almost don't even need the game plan. It's almost that they should be able to just almost outwill them with the talent that they have. Well, no, you need a game plan. I mean, you need to have some some idea of the guys that you want to take away, and and certainly for Boston, Turner's played very well for them the second half of the season. Bringing in Thomas has given them a a, a great uh, boost of energy. Um, and so certainly I'm sure Cleveland's going to look at, at those two guys as maybe the top two guys you want to take away. Um, the problem for Boston is that I don't know. Normally, you know, you would say, hey, they could go small and be effective, and it gets a lot of things they could. But because of how Cleveland's kind of changed its roster through those two trades, they can go small too, and their smalls are probably better than Boston's smalls. So, it's going to be tough for Boston to find an advantage anywhere on the floor where they can really exploit it and cause problems for Cleveland. So that's the difficulty, I think, for, for the Celtics is that they can't really throw it inside uh, with the size that Cleveland now has with Mozgov at the rim. Um, and they can't really go small and, and try to break Cleveland down that way because 
they could put LeBron at the four uh, and be okay. Uh, they could play, play Love at the five and be okay. So there's not really a lot of good options for Boston as you, as you look at the matchups in the series. Yeah, like I, I said this in the opening as well. I don't think this is the fact that we all expect Cleveland to win this series. It's more the fact that I think it's just a credit to how good Cleveland is, more on the fact that, you know, people are just writing off Boston as some unworthy foe. I mean, since that Isaiah Thomas trade, they have had the fourth-best record in the NBA. They've been on, like, a 50-win pace for almost half the season. It's just that I think Cleveland is so good. But I, I would like to think that there are maybe some chinks in the armor with this team. I mean, before the season, at least I predicted them to win 70 games. I'm sorry they didn't. But one thing I... It is possible is while they're not they're not pansies, but they're not the most mentally tough team either. They're certainly not like the nineteen ninety five Houston Rockets or something. Is there any chance maybe if the series does return to Boston for game three later in the week where maybe the Celtics could ride a raucous crowd and, you know, seal a game or dare we say two? Well, I, look, anything's possible, sure. Um and, and the one thing I would say is that um this Cleveland team does not have a lot of playoff experience in its in its regular rotation. You know, um, this will be Kyrie Irving's first playoff series. This will be Kevin Love's first playoff series. This will be Mozgov's first playoff series. So, you know, a lot of the guys that are playing big minutes for them have not played in a lot of playoff games. So, from that standpoint, you know, you know, it, it's possible at the moment to get them. But LeBron's played in a billion playoff games, you know. Seattle's played in a lot of playoff games. Shumpert's played in a lot of playoff games. And then you look to their bench where you've got Miller and Jones and, and uh, Brendan Haywood and Sean Marion. They've got nothing but guys that have been in a, in a bunch of playoff games for a lot of teams over a lot of years. So even if that is an issue for Cleveland, they've got guys that they could put in the rotation who could handle being on the road and, and playing in big games and a guy like Miller who can come off the bench cold without a shoe and still you know, make nine threes in a, in a finals game. So even that's not really that big an advantage for Boston um, because they don't have a ton of playoff experience either with the guys that they have so, um, that are in their regular rotation again. So um, it, it's possible, sure. But uh, you look at everything in the series, and it just does not point to anything that you look at with the Celtics and say, well, there's where they can exploit Cleveland. Yeah, I think that's pretty much where I'm only sort of maybe pointing to is the fact that, like, you sort of talked about Cleveland is obviously I think all that really matters is LeBron's got the playoff experience. He's a two-time champion. He's one of the great players in the history of the game. But maybe they, you know, some of the players like Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving could tense up because I do expect a fairly raucous crowd when the series does return to Boston. And I think it'd be a, a pretty successful series for the Celtics if they could, you know, dare we say it, even, you know, I mean, just okay, get, you know, one or two games. But I would love to sort of shift and talk about the state of the team because I think it's tremendous that they did make the playoffs, rallying from 16 and 30 and just get in, with all the trades that they had. And, you know, there was, if you want to bear with me here, there was a lot of midseason debate actually on the show. Had it with one of your colleagues, uh, Ian Thompson, over at NBA.com a little over a month ago now. For the NBA's most historic franchise, you had the Celtics, the Lakers, the Knicks. If you even want to throw Philadelphia in there, I guess you can do that as well. Uh, we were talking about how 
which one of those four teams is more likely to succeed. And, and since the conversation I had with Ian, obviously the Celtics went on that huge rally to qualify for the postseason. And it's created this interesting dichotomy here where you got the Knicks and the Lakers and the Sixers. They're at the bottom while Boston, you know, they're in the postseason mid-level. I, where do you sort of stand on that? Is, is Boston unfortunate being in the so-called dreaded NBA in middle, whereas those teams have maybe a better shot at getting a star player, or the Celtics taking necessary steps of progression that you need to do in a rebuild? Well, look, I don't think you can – I don't think any one season dictates where you are in terms of building your team. Um, you know, if Boston had not made the playoffs, that wouldn't have made this second half run any less impressive or any less meaningful for the guys that they have on, on the roster. Um, but with all the draft picks that, that Danny's got and the cap room they're going to have, they can do anything they want this summer. And they can move all throughout the draft. They can move up into the top three if they want. Um, they, can, they can sign. They'll have the money, I'll put it that way, to sign whatever, for, whatever free agent they want. So they will be a player um, in the offseason in terms of improving the roster. I think they're set up very well to do that. Um, New York has money. They don't have much else. They've got money. Um, the Lakers will have a couple of draft picks, and they'll have some cap room. And then Philly's got a lot of draft picks. And, uh, you know, probably, you know, I guess if you looked at their roster and Boston's roster, you'd probably take Boston's players over Phillies right now, although Noel played well and Covington played well um, the second half of the season. So I think Boston's in good shape, and, and it's okay that for me it's that they made the playoffs. I'm never going to say making the playoffs is a bad thing. Uh, Any time you can get young guys the experience of going on the road, hostile environment with the way that the intensity is ratcheted up, the game is called differently, uh, the days off allow teams to really zero in and take away your pet plays. The things that work against the bad teams will not work in the playoffs. And guys have to experience that. That's how you get better. That's how you learn. Um, and so I never will say it's a bad thing uh, for the Celtics to have made the playoffs as, as opposed to, you know, having a 4% chance of getting the first pick. I mean, I don't think that that really matters. Again, because of the, all the cap room and the picks that they have, they can maneuver throughout the draft however they want, I believe, and, and have an opportunity to get into the top five if they want. Yeah, I think that the Celtics, the assets that they have, that's certainly the elephant in the room. I mean, there's a there's almost a psychotic fear among certain Celtics fans or even any NBA fan in general of being like the dreaded seven seed, being the Herb Cole Milwaukee Bucks and making, you know, the sole purpose of your season to just challenge to be a top eight team. But that just isn't the case here, in my opinion. Like, it's, it's one thing if this organization was paying like an exuberant amount of luxury tax money to field a 40 win team or do what the Brooklyn Nets did and trade three first round draft choices just so you can win one playoff series but that isn't really the case with the Celtics I mean this is how the Celtics are you know now and then obviously in the future they have all that flexibility and if you don't mind me asking I mean I know you're you've been around the NBA for such a long time and a lot of people write off Boston as a destination for free agents and even sometimes for major trades how much of is that is really the case in your opinion well you know I, I, I... I don't think it's the number one destination for free agents. Um, they have not signed a ton of free agents over the course of their history. But I think part of that reason is because they haven't had to. <laughs> you know, um, they've, they've had really good teams. They've had playoff teams. They've had teams that were contending for championships. 
uh, they had you guys that they drafted, whether it was, uh, you know, Pierce in recent history or guys that they acquired like Rondo and, and Allen and, and KG in the last iteration of, of the great team that they had. So they didn't need to be a player in free agency because they, they acquired assets through, the, through trades in the draft. Um, now they're going to have to, I think, get at least one free agent uh, of, of consequence to, to really accelerate the rebuild. I think that, again, with regard to the draft, they'll be wherever they want to be. If there's a player that they want, I think they'll be able to maneuver, unless it's one of the top two, you know, two or three maybe. I think they can get into the top five if they really want to. Um, and I think that they can move up or move down if there's a player that they really want to draft. But I don't think that that's going to be enough. I think they're going to have to add a, at least one player in free agency. And, you know, I think that they probably now will be able to do it. I think Brad Stevens has uh, a pretty good reputation among players around the league. I think they see what they've done up in Boston, and then you see that, you know, he's got some really good ideas. You look at how, the way they play. They run some good stuff. And, and so I think he's, you know, it's, it's possible that they could sign a free agent. It's not. Again, I don't think if the choices are, you know, the Lakers and Miami and Boston, that Boston is going to be the favorite. But I think they can get people. I don't, I don't see why they couldn't get somebody. I don't think that the, the concerns that people may have had about the city of Boston in the past are still there. I think that most people feel like Boston's become a, a, a much more progressive town in a lot of ways and that, you know, you could you could sign a, a you could be a free agent there and, and do well there. I don't think that uh, that that is an issue anymore with most free agents. Yeah, I remember I actually mentioned it on last week's show. Is that sort of brought up sort of the old memories of when I followed, obviously, the Red Sox back in the 90s as a young kid. I used to wonder, I go, Dad, how come the David Justice and Marquise Grissom have clauses in their contract and that they couldn't be traded to the Red Sox? And my dad would always be, like, afraid to answer that question. And obviously, I ended up finding out why. Um, but that's sort of a good way, because I know you're a busy man. I'd love to sort of wrap it up here with this. They're in the postseason. They're playing the Cavaliers. All these games are going to be on national TV. Could you maybe even further elaborate on maybe that could be a very good benefit for the Celtics in terms of being able to recruit free agents and the fact that the people out there are all going to be watching the Celtics, you'd like to think, almost nightly, and that they are on, obviously can see how good of a coach Brad Stevens is? Uh, you know, I may have tangentially. I don't think that that necessarily is going to sway anybody one way or the other. I think the things that, you know, people know the history of the Celtics. They know that. They know about the championships and they know about the mystique and all of that stuff. I think that has much more impact than what they do in a first-round playoff series of the eighth or the seventh seed. I'm sorry. Um, so, look, I think the experience, again, I if Kevin Garnett comes out and says, I love my time in Boston, I had a great time in Boston, and Doc Rivers says, I had a great time in Boston, and it was, it was meaningful for me to be in Boston, and Ray Allen says, I enjoyed my time in Boston, I think those things have much more sway than whether or not the Celtics win a game or maybe two against Cleveland in the first round. Um, you know, people want to go where they feel comfortable and where they feel they have a chance to win. And... Uh, with, with the way that uh, the Celtics have come on, I think that they will have a chance in free agency to get some people. Uh, I think going forward that uh, you know they can they can be a player. Um, if they can get an impact player in the draft, that will help as well in terms of the recruiting of free agents down the road because good players want to play with good players. So 
um, if you know, they can maneuver and, and figure out a way to get one of those blue chip players that, that, that should be at the top of this draft, I think that will go a much longer way towards them uh, being a player in free agency than what they do against Cleveland. Yeah, it's certainly obviously interesting you mentioned about Kevin Garnett because I did speak with Wick Grosbeck on last week's show, and Wick did mention that KG is actually serving as an ambassador for the city of Boston in his post-Celtics career. But David Aldridge, long, long time NBA scribe, can now catch his work over at Turner, NBA TV, and obviously his written work, NBA.com. And of course, the quick and easy way, follow him on Twitter at TNT. DA, thanks so much for taking the time stopping by. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. No, always good to get the word from David Aldridge as he's certainly been around the block to say the very least. If you've been even the most casual of NBA fans for many years, then it's utterly impossible not to follow all the great work David has bestowed upon us NBA fans over the years. And now he's doing some great work for TNT along with all their other many endearing personalities that they have. And TNT will be airing games two and three of this matchup the Celtics have with the Cavaliers, along with more first-round and second-round playoff action than any other network, as well as being the exclusive presentation of the 2015 Eastern Conference Finals, hopefully featuring the Boston Celtics. But in all likelihood, for my money, at least for my money, I'll make a wild and bold proclamation. You'll see LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers there. But the Celts, one day, I guess, in fact, very soon. I just don't that It's not going to be this year. And, uh... Well, we're going to get back to discussing that playoff series in a minute here. Obviously, once again, a lot of discussion on this summer and the Celtics' future because, as we all know, the future endeavors of this organization is on equal pedestal of the present, even as this team is actually in one of the more larger postseason series here. And mainly because that this is such a challenging series and most of us do view what the Celtics do as just a bonus, I'd like to say. But I did find it interesting in how he discussed that the Celtics' legacy can be a very important recruiting pitch. A lot of people, particularly here in Boston, sadly, I guess, they seem to write that off as, or they view it as no factor. And they talk about how well all these players, well, they weren't old enough when the Celtics were the Celtics. Of course, sort of conveniently dismissing that uh, this team was competing for NBA championships on a five, six-year period just as soon as two years ago. But here's a guy, David Aldridge, as respected and as diligent of a journalist as there is, not just in the sporting world, but I'd say anyone in the media for my money. And as connected as anyone is in the basketball world, I'd like to think there's basis on what he's saying there. And personally, in my studies, and when I was writing Fall of the Boston Celtics, which you can still pick up for yourself at www.clnsradio.com slash book. In my studies, when I talked with former players, be it champions or those who might have been on some of those more infamous Celtics teams in the 90s there, still, even those players, they all almost universally appreciated the legacy. However, they were more enlightened to it when they would certainly get here and actually experience it as opposed to having that knowledge from the outside or obviously before they became Celtics. So I think that's where I believe the Boston history and aura isn't as big of a deal, at least as it should be, or at least as we want it to be, right, in my mind or in our, our, our minds of other Celtics fans, because one has to sort of be exposed to it and certainly has to experience it. And they get that here when they you know, put that jersey on. I mean, if you've been reading some of the quotes from the likes of Jay Crowder and Isaiah Thomas, uh, they've professed ignorance to it. But once they get here to them, I mean, once the, it happens, it's, it's like, wow, it's like an epiphany moment. So obviously what was briefly discussed and mentioned by DA, unfortunately, and we're going to have to get into this because uh, we talk about the history of Boston, the great history of the Celtics, but uh, 
There's that other thing out there. Don't have to get uh, too into detail, as you know what I am insinuating here. We talked about it on last week's show, and we, I at least like to think that it has been put to pasture, and now that you do have people like Paul Pierce, Doc Rivers, Ray Allen, and Kevin Garnett, who Wick Rosbeck mentioned on last week's show, and we just had DA himself confirm it, how these guys, respected all-time greats in the sport, are telling people what a great experience playing for the Celtics is and playing in the city as well. But listen, it's it's still out there. It's it's history, which is, is as recent as the 1990s. As I've mentioned, you had baseball players at least, Marquise Grissom, David Justice, and there were some others out there who had player who had clauses in their contracts, stating specifically that they could not be traded to Boston. And if that's you know unfairly or unfairly for the Celtics, I like to think it is a bit unfair considering their history. They get lumped in because of the city they play in. Unless we forget the Celtics are still an organization that served as pioneers in breaking down some of these barriers. But hey, it's still the Boston Celtics. And Boston has carried that stigma for the longest time with documented incidents of shame in a recent history. Obviously, too, with those guys like Grissom and Justice, they looked at not just Boston, but the Red Sox as an organization who had a checkered history, to say the very least. You know, obviously, um, you know, somebody please tell Willie Mays to leave. Uh, that, and that's being nice because this is a clean radio show. So obviously, too, revering people like Carl Yastrzemski, who is not the most accepting of individuals, for lack of a better word, having obviously almost the authority to dictate trades of guys like Cecil Cooper, uh, Boomer Scott, Reggie Smith, likely for um, uh, that very reason. So it's it's out there, but I hope it has been put to bed a little bit, particularly of, of some you know, recent successes of this team and certainly revering, obviously, the most recent of Celtics teams. I like to think, I hope it's over with. I like to think that with these, as Wick used the words last week, ambassadors, that the organization now has of respected and dignified people like a Garnett or a Doc and, and some of the other greats this organization has you know, speaking on behalf of playing for this team. But obviously, I can't go on that forever. But I actually I do want to disagree with David entirely here is the importance of this series with the Cavaliers, or at the very least, the importance of a good showing. You know, DA seemed to write it off, and he felt that the historical his significance of the organization, and even the respect that Brad Stevens has for that matter, are bigger trump cards. But this is where I have to disagree. Uh, first off, I am big on the Stevens impact, and you hear a lot of people write it off. Once again, I think those people are totally way off base. Obviously, you, talk, you heard David, David talk about it as well. And I know many beat reporters have come to me talking about how they've had discussions with opposing players off the record on how much they rev, you know, adore the work, for lack of a better word, how much they respect the work that Stevens has done and even express interest in playing for him. So that's definitely an impact, despite what some maybe some certain talk radio hosts would like to say. So I actually have to disagree, really, once again, with this postseason series and the importance of it, because obviously I actually discussed it with David's colleague, Ian Thompson of NBA.com, on the show a little over a month ago, and I felt like I even won, I even won Ian over a little bit when I referenced the 2011 Indiana Pacers. They, I think, of like a 36 and 46 record, and how, but how they gave the Chicago Bulls a good, hard-fought series in the first round that only went five games, but they were all competitive games. 
they gave the best team in the NBA record-wise that year all they could handle, and that kind of put the Pacers on the map a little bit and further emphasized their ascension in the league. And that, I think, no doubt was a tipping point for their recruitment of David West and free agency the following offseason. I don't think they signed David West had they gotten bounced in some four-game uncompetitive series that was a sweep or, or missed the playoffs entirely. But that series with Chicago sort of changed their complexion a little bit. Certainly how one could look at the state of that Indiana Pacers team. And they definitely built on it from there. And I think that could be the case with the Celtics here. Talked about it with Ian. Just discussed it with David. I think that if the Celtics, listen, I'm an honest guy. I'm not giving them much of a chance to win four of these next seven games against the Cleveland Cavaliers. They possess all-time NBA talent on their roster. I think it's a mountain too steep. We'll have fun watching this for sure, and I think anything that comes out of this is all bonus material. This is all house money, but winning, like I said, it's going to take some bizarre circumstances or some sacrifices by the hardiest of Celtics fans, and I'm not going to mention that again before I have Adam Silver send a couple of suits to my house here and thrust me into the back of a gray man. But anyways, I think that the Celtics can give LeBron and Cleveland a good fight. That's only further going to enhance the vision that people have towards a Brad Stevens as well as the talent on this team or this situation. Hey, maybe some of the younger guys too on this roster, they have some good playoff games that could only enhance their value on trades as well. Obviously, all these games are going to be on national television. You got the two games on TNT coming up. But in terms of continuing to make this Boston situation more attractive, they these are going to be very important games in that matter and in these coming days for this team. There's no question about it. So... Uh, how can they do it? How can the Celtics exploit some weaknesses of Cleveland to where they can at least give themselves a puncher's chance in certain spots in this series? We've got another great guest coming up, Dave McMenamin of ESPN, who was around that team as much as anybody for that matter. He's coming up on the other side of the break. This is Larry H. Russell back here again, and let me tell you a little something about me. I'm always reading a book, or three, be it a revolutionary breakthrough on neuroscience such as Daniel Kamen's Thinking Fast and Slow, or even a philosophical masterpiece like Plato's Republic. I'm always doing whatever means to soak up as much knowledge as I can about the world we live in. And we can't do that without literature. But not everyone finds it convenient to carry around all six volumes of the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire with them. But there's a solution. My good friends over at Audible. Audible is a leading provider of audiobooks with over 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. You don't need to be all alone creating that impossible private time with our everyday lives of chaos to do some reading and relaxing. Audiobooks are great to listen to wherever. Be it in the gym, doing chores at work or around the house, driving, riding, shopping, whatever. Audiobooks are the remedy for you. And Celtics Beat and Audible are teaming up to offer you your first audiobook for free. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Hey, this is Nick Gelso, co-owner and founder of CLNS Radio. Today's podcast is brought to you by lynda.com. lynda.com is the home of expert video tutorials. Because you're such a loyal listener of CLNS Radio, and it's 2015, you want to kick the new year off in style, claim your free trial today from CLNS by going to lynda.com slash CLNS. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash CLNS.
Welcome back into the show. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. I am Larry H. Russell. I just had a great chat with the one and only David Aldridge talking about this series and what it could mean for the state of the Boston Celtics organization now and going forward. But now we're going to get back to talking more about this series and delve more into the Cleveland Cavaliers here. Obviously, we've been talking about them, but I think we're really going to go in depth here. And to do so, we have to bring in someone who is around that team every single day. As a Celtics fan... You are probably quite familiar with him. Covered the Los Angeles Lakers for many years on ESPN.com. You know, the Lakers, that other team out there, those uh, Celtics people, they don't really like them. But covered the Lakers for many years on ESPN and ESPN Los Angeles. Now covering the Cavaliers and the NBA for ESPN. That's Dave McMenamin. Dave, good to finally catch up here. Of course, Larry. Thanks for reaching out and uh, good to talk to you about uh, you know, this playoffs. <laughs> We're certainly going to do that. And uh, I definitely want to get sort of the Cavs, and we're going to have you play the role as our uh, secret sort of Russian KGB spy, if you will, and just sort of give us the rundown <laughs> more on Cleveland. But I think right off the bat, I know a lot of people aren't giving the Celtics a great chance in this series, and for good reason. It's like one of the greatest players of all time happens to play on Cleveland. But is there really one matchup or one attribute, for that matter, that Boston could exploit? Or, I mean, is there any hope at all in that they could just they're just going to be capitalizing on Cleveland's miscues. Well, uh, we spoke to Iman Shumpert after the game that uh, the Celtics won in Boston, uh, the second of those, those two games that they just played gearing up for the playoffs. And his point was that the Celtics have so many ball handlers. You know, you're, they, they can play, you know, three or four guys on the court at any given time that are comfortable taking the ball off the court, putting it on the floor, pressuring the defense from different angles. And that's kind of a unique look in the NBA. You don't see that that often. So, you know, that's something that uh, the Cavs have to be cognizant of, of, of. They have to prepare for. They have to, um, you know, it's not only they do they have the ball handlers, but Schumper's point was that they also have guys who are out there setting uh, screens on the backside, uh, freeing up driving lanes for those ball handlers. And, you know, of course, we're, we're talking about, you know, Bradley and, and uh and Evan Turner and, and Isaiah Thomas primarily. So um, that's a challenge. And that's, those are very talented players for the Celtics who have been playing good basketball for the last two months. So, uh, you know, I think you could say that the Cavs have been playing better basketball, you know, record-wise, and, and maybe they've beaten some better teams in the stretch the Cavs have been playing. But um, the Celtics have a good rhythm now. And any time you're facing a team with talent and rhythm, uh, you're going to have to bring your A game to beat them. Yeah, it's interesting. I've mentioned this in the opening, and, and I've been talking about it a lot with all the other people that we've been talking about. I think I mean, everybody's picking Cleveland, and for good reason, but I think it's more of a testament on how much the talent the Cleveland Cavaliers have because I know the Celtics, you look at it, and they have the underwhelming record, but they've actually been on a 50-win pace since that Isaiah Thomas trade. So, I mean, like I said, it's really just more on the fact that Cleveland is very good more than the Celtics are not so good? Because I actually would argue that Boston is a pretty good team. Well, I mean, of course, it's not necessarily a small sample size. Since the All-Star break, there's something like, you know, for you know the exact number, but something like 20 wins and 11 losses. That's a significant run for an NBA team to go through. And the Celtics, again, are going to have to get the proper respect from Cleveland going into the series 
Um, and, you know, even that great Celtics team, you know, in 2008 that, that ended up winning the championship, uh, they were tested by an Atlanta Hawks team in the first round and going seven games, even with all the talent they had there. So, um, you know, if you pay attention to the league long enough, I don't think the Celtics necessarily going to be a doormat um, by any stretch uh, for the Cavs. But, you know, the Cavs at full strength and the substitute full strength played about six weeks ago, and, and the Cavs won by 20 and, and led by 30 at one point in that game. So, um, you know, I think all things considered, both teams have been playing really good ball. I just, I just think the Cavs' best is a better best than the Celtics' best is. And it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I'm I, are, should we really be even looking into the Cleveland game plan at all and the fact that what are the Cavs going to exploit that Boston doesn't have or are they just going to rely on just quite frankly outwilling and overpowering a, a team that they have far more talent than that? Then, well, you'd like to think you know that, that Cleveland will want to play their game um, and, and try to win that way, uh, you know, get the Celtics to try to adjust to them instead of vice versa. And really where Cleveland's been so successful basically since the middle of January is uh, they start on the defensive end. They, they were you know, a very mediocre would probably be a stretch uh, to call them to the first half of the season as a defensive team. But they started to shut down penetration uh, at the point of attack um, you know, when when teams did get into the lane, you have uh, guys like uh, Timo Fey-Mazga making it difficult at the rim, uh, Tristan Thompson as well. And and then when they are able to turn misses into defensive rebounds, getting up to court um, and, and using those great penetrators like Kyrie Irving, like LeBron James, who have such great vision uh, on top of their penetration skills to get open shots and you know play with that kind of accelerated tempo. Um, but again, that starts with the defensive end. You don't think that, that the Cavs will want to, uh, you know, uh, go away from that type of game plan against Celtics. Uh, even though the Celtics do have guys who can push the tempo as well, I think the Cavs feel like when they play that style of game, they're as good as, if not better, than any team in the league. Tell me, too, obviously this was big in the news last week. Obviously, I had Wick Grosbeck on the show last week, and, I mean, in the discussion – if you hear, if you hear the, whole, the whole quote, it's a little different in context than when if you just read it. Obviously, it was the I want Cleveland. I'd love to play them, whatnot. Is that making mm-hmm. its way around the Cavs locker room at all? Or was that, like I said, just something that got taken out of context a little bit in the 24 hours after, you know, people read about it? You know, you're going to have a couple of days before the playoffs begin. And, and you're going to have, I like to call it Groundhog Day, <laughs> when you're the press and you're going in and talking to uh the uh, the team when there's no event that's occurred and kind of the same questions come up. I imagine that Wick Grosbeck quote uh, from your interview with him will be uh, revisited and it will become something that uh, Cavs players are aware of. Now, um, I, you know, I, I I think it came to my attention uh, originally through one of the Celtics blogs and and I mentioned it in my column on Sunday in Boston. I, I don't know. You know, if it was necessarily meant to ruffle the feathers, uh, but I also don't think it was the most, you know, uh, uh, cautionary quote uh, from the owner. Um, you know, the, he, he could have said, you know, I, I want to play an inexperienced Hawks team or something like that. Uh, yet, yet he, he did say that he would welcome the challenge of going against LeBron James. Now, 
the feeling of beating LeBron in the playoffs, yeah, that's got to be a great one. But, um, you know, that's a, a pretty tall mountain to climb. And, uh, you know, the, and these types of things, Colton board material always comes up. And, and it usually doesn't matter that much in the series, but it certainly gives, you know, us media types something to talk about. Yeah, it's. I mean, it certainly does. I mean, it, it is because I, I talked about it in the opening too. He, I mean, he said it really out of fully respect for LeBron. He was talking more so. We were talking about free agency and the respect that he had for LeBron's decision. But I mean, obviously there is that history there with the Cavaliers, or not with the Cavs, really with LeBron. All the times Boston has played them in the playoffs, I think mm-hmm. it's been like like four times, and this would be the fifth. But uh, he respects LeBron very much. But I want to talk. I want to sort of shift more. We're going to talk. Keep it on specifically talking about the Cavs here. Been still sort of an interesting season for the Cavaliers. I mean, they had a good but not great regular season. I think that's more so because they had just these enormous expectations before the season. At least I kind of, I'll admit, I predicted them to win 70 games. Uh, has mm-hmm. no, that okay regular season, has that lowered expectations for them a little bit? Because before the season, it was title or bust. Now I feel like for them it's more like, hey, if they make the Eastern Conference Finals, it's okay. Is that the case, or is this a still championship or bust here? Um, that's a good question. Uh, you know, when LeBron decided to come back to Cleveland, he did that. You know, that essay with Lee Jackson of Sports Illustrated. He was very, you know, purposely tempering expectations. Um, he said that I know it's going to be a long process. It's going to take longer than it did in 2010, um, and obviously that was when he went to Miami and. They made the finals in the first year, and, and uh, but they lost. Um, I think the way the Cats have been playing now for an extended period of time, basically the whole second half of the season, ever since they went 19 and 20 out of the gate to start things, they've had the best record in the league ever since then. So um, I think the expectations are, are pretty lofty here in Cleveland and, and around the league now. I don't, I'm not so sure a conference final berth would be, you know, the expectation of reaching their potential. Uh, I think getting out of the Eastern Conference, getting to the finals, is. Uh, I, I, I think talking to coaches around the league, talking to players, um, that seems to be where this team should get with their talent. And then there, you know, if you match up with a San Antonio or Golden State or et cetera, et cetera, um, who knows what happens at that point. But uh, the idea is that this team is better than Orlando. This team is better than Chicago. And um, really none of the other, other teams around the league, you know, of course, no offense to the Celtics, but but the the Cavs are a different class uh, than the other Eastern Conference opponents they could face in the playoffs. Yeah, I would certainly say that, and that's pretty much where I was going to be getting here. I mean, are they pretty much? I think it's safe to say they are the. I mean, as good of a regular season Atlanta has had, uh, sixty wins, whatever. They're it's safe to call them the the Cleveland Cavaliers as the prohibitive Eastern Conference favorite. Am I correct? I would think so. I think they are the Vegas favorite. I just spoke to Stan Van Gundy uh, about this uh, earlier in the in the week, and he feels like they're the favorite. You know, and he's someone who, you know, has his fingers on the pulse of the league as well as anybody. Uh, Atlanta has had a fantastic regular season, but while the the Cavs have been undoubtedly ascending in the second half of the season, Atlanta has been a little more stagnant. And then you throw in the Added, you know, turmoil of, of the Cephalosha incident with Perantic, uh in in New York at that club, and you're you're missing one of your better perimeter offenders for the rest of the, of 
of the season. Um, I don't know. I mean, that, there's some major adversity for Budenholzer to overcome with Atlanta for their playoff run when they really had such smooth sailing all season long. And maybe that's something that will refocus them and they'll rebound from their kind of stagnancy of the second half of the season. Or maybe that's just the thread that's being pulled and the sweater's going to be cut up there. Yeah, I think that's I, – I thought that was a concern that I had for Atlanta. I know a lot of people are saying, well, that was good for the Hawks. They got a lot of tests early on, so they needed that because that's not exactly a team that has playoff experience. Obviously, they were in the playoffs last year, but, I mean, the first-round series, that's just nothing in my opinion. Whereas Cleveland, I mean, they don't have playoff experience, but, I mean, LeBron does, LeBron does and that's pretty much all that matters. So, I mean, Cleveland, I, I think they – they definitely pace themselves where I would be a little concerned about Atlanta going playing so hard really since November, December. So I think that's going to be certainly something to watch for at all. But Dave, thanks so much for stopping by and taking the time. Dave McMenamin covering the Cavaliers for ESPN. You can follow Dave on Twitter at Mc10. It's spelled out M-C-T-E-N. Dave, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Absolutely. Thanks, Larry. Well, uh, Okay, so it doesn't look good. And from that standpoint, if we're just looking at this series concretely here, we know this is would be one of the great upsets in NBA playoff history if Boston can pull it off. But I don't look at this concretely and not what is right in front of me, and, and neither should you, and I'm under the assumption that you aren't. Because, but although, Sally, there are a lot of people who are looking at this series at face value. Ah, they're going to get crushed. They should have tried to play the Hawks. They would have had a chance there. And, well, first off, we know it's not that easy. Uh, the Celtics coming into that final week, final two weeks of the season, were teetering from making the playoffs anyways. You had no idea what's going to happen in and around you. You don't take any chances. You go out and win every game. That's what players do anyways. And I, I actually I can't believe I'm saying this because it sounds just so obvious. that you know, But considering that you hear analysis like this the other day, but they're winning too much. I, I, I said this off the top. They need to let Brooklyn catch them for the seventh seed. So, yes, I guess it should be just to straighten that out now that Brad Stevens can't exactly go, okay, team, let's lose this one and then uh, come back and definitely win the next one, the next game. Uh, I mean, you're barely good enough as is, for goodness sake. So I, I guess it's just frustrating. There's, there's a lot of talk about how Boston isn't a basketball town. And while it certainly doesn't have the cultural connection that hockey and baseball do in this region, which obviously border on religions, as we know, but there's still a great connection with the Celtics in New England and throughout the world, as evidenced by the fact that they have, like, what, 8 million followers on Facebook or whatever it is. So you hear a lot about it, more so from local media members, but don't buy it. I think it's more just a cover-up for them and obviously to pitch such analysis. Like, I don't want to pick on them, but here we go again. Don't confuse the inflated win total or the escalating win total with being closer to a championship. They are not. Yeah, uh, inflated win total. Uh, whatever that means. I, let me, uh, listen, how many times do I need to say that this is all house money? Look at this as a glass half full. Would the Celtics have had a better shot to be competitive against the Hawks? Sure, but there's a ton of benefits to playing Cleveland. In my mind, more. First off, Love the way they finished the season, winning the six straight games, including those two so-called meaningless games there at the very end. More importantly, I know people want to throw this under the rug about being in the playoffs means little, but I've discussed this ad nauseum here because we have historical examples of that just simply not being the case. It means a lot to be in the playoffs and to put on a decent showing for that matter. And today, 
at 3 p.m. on national television. Game 1 on ABC, the Celtics are the marquee matchup on the NBA calendar for the weekend. This is their premiere. They're going to get the number one announced team. Everything. Everyone in and around the NBA will be watching, particularly all the free agents who are not playing postseason basketball right now. Don't have to name names because you don't know who they are, but they're watching. A lot of us will be watching. Once again, 3 o'clock on ABC. That's the preeminent game of the weekend. Hey, you play the Atlanta Hawks, you may be finding yourself on channel 5052 on tape delay at 3 in the morning. Obviously, I blew it up there, but that's not really the case. But if you're a fan, if you're a player, a coach, an executive in this organization, this Boston Celtics, there's not a spot you want to be in more than the Celtics are now for this season. And here, whatever happens, happens. Nothing, and I mean nothing bad, can come out of this. So congratulations, you just played your way into a four-game sweep in the first round. But we don't- All right, see, I was just... Ugh. Never people, you know, get that way. I either I'm sitting at the game, I look up at the banner, or I pull my ring out and put it on. You know, I got no problem with these people. It's <laughs> fine. All right, yes, Wick, exactly. Thank you very much. Goodness. Music. Play around the NBA in five. Here we go. Let's start it off with the most intriguing and likely competitive first round series. A series that could is easily be a conference finals matchup. Spurs Clippers, game one tonight in Los Angeles on TNT. Wow. Where do we start? Well, considering before the season I made the bold prediction of the Spurs losing in the first round and the Clippers winning the Western Conference and losing to the Cavaliers in the NBA Finals in six. Can't say I'm going to stray here from that prediction, but my goodness, how do you get this as a first-round matchup? Mentioned with DA how a lot of these matchups, there are very few where you can pinpoint a definitive winner in each one of these series. There's a lot of even matchups. I think Cleveland-Atlanta, they'll safely advance, but out west, it truly does live up to its billing. Golden State is also a safe bet to move on as well, but for the Clippers, let's get back to the series here. This is interesting. Obviously, it's a brutal matchup for them, but as we discussed with Michael Smith, the great Clippers color guy they have back in January, the Clips led by Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, and Doc Rivers, of course. They need an extended run in the postseason here. I know it's a bad draw, but it's going on four years now where they've had that group together, and they've done very little in the postseason, as exciting as they've been to watch on the court. So, But for them, it's now or never. It seems like they can somehow get past the Spurs team, a team that swept them not too long ago in the postseason. Get past them. Maybe they'll definitely go on a run here. At least until they see Golden State, but maybe this one, it's a challenge. Obviously, the Spurs finished the season white hot, but for the Clippers, it's no excuses. Now or never, it's go time. It's a desperate team out there, so if you had to watch one series, Clippers against the defending champions, I think this is the one that you have to check out. How about that team that missed the postseason, though? The Oklahoma City Thunder, a lot going on there. Russell Westbrook won the scoring title, had one of the great seasons in NBA history for a guard with all those crazy stat lines once Durant went down. However, that seems very empty, and that's actually the words that he even used himself, or the fact that it means nothing, quote-unquote, in terms of winning the scoring title. But this team, as soon as three years ago, was proclaimed a dynasty. They're going to win five championships in the next decade. Uh, We need a name for this. We can get Bill Simmons here for this movie. Call him the Sergio Garcia All-Stars. They're proclaiming golfers to win eight or nine majors in their career before they even have, you know, win one just because they have a good runner-up showing as youngsters. Uh, We got this Thunder group. Uh, the Penny Shack, Orlando Magic in the 90s. Uh, baseball, you can go with Griffey, Buhner, A-Rod, Seattle Manners, hockey. I think the Philadelphia Flyers with Eric Lindros and John LeClaire. They had pegged them for winning a couple Stanley Cups. All those teams didn't win nothing. Then they broke up in just a few years. And now this Thunder group maybe obviously 
First off, the worst swap done on American soil since the Louisiana Purchase, uh, that James Harden trade. But Westbrook and Durant, they've suffered season-ending in injuries in these last few years. Now Durant's status in Oklahoma City is up in the air. Heading into this next season, Westbrook the following year, even Scotty Brooks. That future looks shaky as well. There's a lot going on there. Definitely interesting to watch, but there'll be a major storyline this offseason. That's for sure. Lastly, our good friend of the show, former guest Jack McMullen of ESPN Boston, had a must-read sit-down feature with former Celtic Paul Pierce. Basically, everyone on the Brooklyn Nets stinks and are losers who aren't committed to winning. At least that's what Paul said. Interesting, as I had Ian Eagle on this show, he talked about how it took a bit for Pierce to get warmed up to Brooklyn. And even last summer, he discussed how he operated, or at least Pearson, under the assumption that he'd resign with the Nets until they backed out last second to save luxury tax money, because the Nets were really up against it. And then Pierce moved on to Washington after being recruited by Sam Cassell, of all people. And not sure how much of it is genuine, or these harsh words are after that contract dispute last year, because it's very interesting that it's out there now, at least in my opinion. At least, I can't say I disagree with the criticism, but I just found the, the timing interesting, particularly when it was documented that he did have interest in resigning with the Nets. So if he feels this way now, curious as to why he didn't feel that way then, or at least didn't come out and say it then. But sometimes it's very tough to see the, through these guys. That's why we have people like the great Jackie McMullen who have been in and around this game long enough. Hard to see through these guys. I just, I guess just like it is everyone else, I guess. So I, I like to think we're pretty honest here on this show, but who knows? Maybe we're not. Uh, it's cracking the codes of life, uh, the never-ending quest, uh, if you will. But unfortunately ending, this show is all done for this week for this special edition airing before Game 1 of the 2015 Eastern Conference quarterfinals between the Boston Celtics and the Cleveland Cavaliers. We are in the books. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Hyde209, Chuck Dietz, and Steph Legrateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is at Celtics underscore beat and you can like Celtics beat on CLNS radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics beat also check us out on Google plus at Celtics beat on CLNS love to thank our awesome guests David Aldridge of Turner Sports and Dave McMenamin of ESPN as well as our sponsors lynda.com and audible for making this all possible for our staff writer Eddie Santiago and myself the executive producer and host of Celtics beat I'm Larry H. Russell. See you this Sunday with special guest and newly elected Hall of Fame inductee, the great JoJo White, Boston Celtics, with another edition of Celtics Beat exclusively on CLNS Radio.